And, you know, when you sometimes like accidentally click something and then suddenly you're like getting advertisements for diapers and you're like, what the heck is this? Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly podcast for book lovers by book lovers. Build your to-be-read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona, and Kareen from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning, this podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another thrilling chilling maybe not it is cold outside today here it's still winter episode of keep it fictional presented to you from the port moody public library and your fellow book lovers today's topic is something that i feel impacts all of us and is something that no matter how you try and escape it good luck with that in today's world Now, no matter how much I try and go analog and quote unquote unplug, I find other than maybe going off to some island somewhere without internet, without a cell tower, it's super difficult for me to fully achieve this. So today, as you probably guessed, we are going to be talking about technology and its impact in our lives and the stories and maybe even some nonfiction that uh, concerns this aspect, unavoidable aspect of our lives. Now, I don't know about all of you, but I feel like I am married to my phone some days, like it's another appendage. I get these reports from my iPhone, that is not a plug by the way, but I get these reports saying, this week you have spent 40% more time on your phone than the previous week. And this is the breakdown of, you know, how much time you've spent on apps, how much time on social media, how much time taking photos, et cetera, which is sometimes very appalling to me. So what I'm wondering from all of you is, do you feel like you have a similar relationship with technology and maybe what type of device or what kind of an app or program plays a big part in your life for better or for worse. Fiona, any thoughts? So I think I'm like relatively light on technology. Like obviously that's a relative thing. I still use technology every day in every way. I am married to my phone, but like I forgot my phone this morning and I'm not dying. I did listen to the radio while I took my drive uh, because probably the most important part of my phone, as you know, because I harp on it, is that it holds my audiobooks. And that is what I do when I drive. So today I listened to the radio instead. And that was actually kind of a nice reminder of like, oh, old tech is nice too. But I don't know, not having the ability to text, like I'm going to have to send out emails and be like, I forgot my phone today. Like, I'm okay. I think that says something about my relationship to technology and how I use it to communicate. So I'm glad you're not feeling tons of anxiety over it though. I think that's that's a good sign, but I'll check in with you later today. Yeah, it's only been an hour. We'll see. <laughs> it's still early. Uh, how about you, Corrine? I love my phone. 
it is a bad relationship, but I use it in a way that I'm actually going to, it actually ties in really nicely with one of the books that I'll be talking about as a tool to alleviate boredom. And that is where I often find myself turning to it when I am bored or if I need like a jolt of simulation or to reach out to a friend or to look up different BTS memes if we're being super honest. Um, But I do also love using like my tablet and my phone as a tool. So it enables me to do things that, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to do by myself. So for example, I'm learning a new language and through an app like italki, I'm able to connect with tutors in that country and they can teach me how to speak that language from an actual native speaker or use a dictionary that instead of like trying to flip through and find what character I'm talking about, I can draw it with my finger and it will show me and give me the dictionary definition and how to pronounce it. So I definitely know a lot of the negative sides of it, but I, I do love the access to different tools of learning that I absolutely wouldn't have had access to. And I don't think that I would be able to learn in the same way that I did without this technology. Nice. So using technology to your advantage instead of letting it take advantage of you. All right. We can learn something. Well, some of us can learn something from you, I think. (laughs) How about you, Virginia? Tech is a big part of your actual job besides being a book lover, book aficionado. Is this problematic for you? Does it creep into your home life? Well, first of all, BTS. So we all have to drink because somebody said BTS. Um, that's our drinking game. And also, Fiona, I, I feel like I died a little bit when I heard that you, you didn't bring your phone today. So that shows my relationship with my phone. <laughs> I know that like for me, it's like if I leave the house and I bring one thing, it's my phone or my wallet, which makes absolutely no sense. But my phone first before my wallet every day when I'm like, did I have everything? The first thing I feel for is my phone, not my wallet. Um, So yeah, so I think again, signs of whether I like to admit it or not. I used to laugh at people who look at the phone when they're sitting in a restaurant with other people. But I found that like, sometimes it's like, you know, you're looking for interesting things to share. Part of it is like Corinne said, you're using your technology to try to learn about the world. And I don't know how I can live without like the library ebook app. You know, like I don't know what I'm going to do on the bus without that. Or like my hockey app. How am I supposed to know who is winning the game? You know, like, so there's just like news that you're, you know, really interested in and that it's like at your fingertips. Like I, I feel like, you know, yes, definitely. I sometimes check it a little too much, but at the same time, it does give us that chance to learn so much more about things. If I'm reading a book even, right? Like I'm reading a book and I'm like, come across something like, oh, what is that? And you can look it up. And then of course you go down a rabbit hole of like (laughs) stuff, but like, you know, you can like kind of get those answers right away. So again, some more advocacy for the positive side of technology. Just being realistic, really. Yeah. Uh, Being honest here, we're always, we try and keep it real here and keep it fictional, but uh, you know, (laughs) you do you, what works for one of us in terms of how much we use, each use technology, um, your mileage may vary, uh, might be different for you. Maybe it's a huge part of your life and maybe it's not really your thing. And either way, that is okay. So that being said, Today, we're going to talk about some books that maybe will explore 
certain aspects that we've already touched on uh, in a fictional sense, as well as a non-fiction aspect. Um, and we can see what other people's viewpoints about the impact of tech in our lives is. Why don't we start off with Virginia? What do you have for us today? I have a, of course, a, a novel for you today. Take a walk in nature. Eat tangerines. Move your desk closer to the window. Build 3D dinosaur models. Cut off the tip of your index finger. Get a pet. Tell someone. All these activities can be part of your personalized contentment plan created just for you by apricity. By the way, the word apricity means the feeling of the warmth of sunshine on your skin in winter. Very fitting for this cold, cold day. With apricity, with our specialized machine, happiness is just around the corner. As we say, happiness is apricity. And all you need to achieve contentment is just a little swab from the inside of your cheek and our certified professional trainers will put that into our machine. And after a very complex and detailed analysis of your DNA, the machine will come up with a list of recommendations just for you to make you happier. Whether you do with those recommendations, of course, is entirely up to you. But let me remind you that we have a 99.97% of satisfaction rating. Again, happiness is apricity. So this is the world created by Katie Williams in her book, Tell the Machine Goodnight. This book is maybe more like stories in novel. We have one main character that we follow and we always come back to her, but we also get to know all the characters that are related to her. Our main character is Pearl and Pearl is one of these certified trained professional who can work with clients, administer the apricity test and give you your results. But contentment is kind of out of reach for Pearl these days because her teenage son, Rhett, is not eating. He's refusing to eat real food. And after a lot of in and outs in the hospitals, after he gets on and off different treatment plans, Rhett is just not eating. And Pearl doesn't know what to do. As a mother, of course, she's very concerned and feels that she needs to do something to help, but she doesn't know how. Her relationship with Red is very strained right now because of this. Every time when she sees Red drinking this gross gray sludge called a protein shake, even just taking a sip, she feels so happy, but she's scared to show that she's happy just in case Red saw her and decides to withdraw again. If only Red would let her take a apricity test. If only Red would allow her to help him do a test, then maybe they would know what will make Red happy. All the other illnesses will go away. But Red absolutely refused 
to take one. So out of desperation, one day, Pearl decides to take a swap without him knowing. We also meet Saf. Saf has just come to Red for help. They used to be classmates, but Red is no longer in the school. So Saf thought maybe Red is the only person in the world that hasn't seen that video. She woke up to a video of herself conjugating French verbs while naked, shaving off her left eyebrow, and eating a bar of lemon-scented soap. It's a super embarrassing video, and she knew that she probably was drugged last night at the party. Now, this party was only attended by her own classmates, and it's a very selected kind of group. So there's only about a dozen people in there. So it is one of them. One of them did something or put something in her drink that makes her forget what happened and also make her highly suggestive while she is on the drugs. And so she's trying to find out who it is and she's hoping that Red would help. We also meet Carter. Carter is Pearl's supervisor and they both work, of course, at Apricity. And Carter thought he has hit the jackpot because the new supervisor of supervisors who is up and coming, just been promoted, Thomas, has taken an interest in Carter and has invited Carter to join him at a meeting. As Carter was going to this meeting, it feels a little bit like he's being initiated into like a secret society. And Thomas tells him that he and his coders have figured out how to, a way to modify the apricity machine. Instead of giving you recommendations to make you happier and more content, their machine can give you something much more important, much more valuable than that. It can give you power. It will come up with a list of recommendations to make you more powerful. And look at me, Thomas said, that's how I got my promotion. And Thomas has offered Carter a chance to modify his machine so that he can also share this power. And we also meet Val. Val is the new wife of Elliot, Pearl's ex-husband. And Val has a secret, something that she has kept from Elliot and she feels really bad about it, but she doesn't know how to tell him. Val has a long-standing meeting for the last 18 years. And something that she did in the past has landed her in a court. And the court has assigned her a probation officer. And that every year, regularly, she has to go meet with her officer to take an apricity test. Val sees herself like a toxin, a toxin that this apricity test helps every time to decide whether she is fit and safe for public consumption. But 18 years have gone by now, and her probation period is just about to end. Val should be happy because she no longer has to keep this appointment, but she's a little worried. All these characters and many more live in a world where a piece of technology can tell you how to be happier. 
Some of them loyally and religiously follow the machine and what it tells them in the hopes that technology can help guide them through the complexities in life, to tell them what's important in life, to tell them what they should value. And some of them purposely defy the machine just in the hope that maybe they can feel something, anything. Tell the machine goodnight is not a satire. It's more like a meditation of a world where technology is here. Like Liz said, it is in our lives, you know, and our ties and our dependence on it grows every day. And it's changing our life. It's a meditation of how we relate to this technology. Now, for me, a lot of more philosophical kind of science fiction often loses me as a reader because I feel like it has no feelings in it. It feels very sterile sometimes. But I find that Katie Williams did manage to do both. Not only does it is thought-provoking, it is contemplative. It also makes you feel for the characters and the characters are very pleasant. It's not like you feel like you're like looking at them through a glass wall and just observing them in a very clinical way. No, you feel for them and you're right there with them going through that experience as they try to find this elusive happiness through technology. Some reviewers kind of compare this to an extended episode of Black Mirror. So give that kind of appeals to you, give you also like a science fiction that that also still focus a lot on the characters. I would highly recommend Tell the Machine Goodnight by Katie Williams. Thank you, Virginia. That, that definitely sounds like a very Virginia book <laughs> on all fronts. I'm glad you really enjoyed it. All right. Who shall we hear from next? How about... Fiona, what do you have for us today? All right. I have also chosen a, a like a speculative fiction. And I'm going back to the early aughts, the early 2000s for my choice. It is a feed. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh. Kareen has groaned very loudly. Feed by MT Anderson. I actually love this book. <laughs> wow, well, I didn't know it would cause such a stir. All right. I'm going to assume that unlike Kareen, you don't know what this is. And I'm going to start from there. (laughs) So Feed is about Titus. Titus is a teen boy who lives in a world where like 75% of the population is plugged into the Feed. This is a technology put into your nervous system. Basically, it's like a smartphone in your brain, pretty much. You can do searches, you can speak to others, or you can message with others telepathically. And like, yeah, like pretty much everything you can do with your with your smartphone, but it is controlled in your brain. As a result, it also has the power to show you images in your brain. And because it's corporatized, these images are mostly advertisements uh, imploring you to buy things. Titus is a very average teen from a very average family. He hangs out with his friends. He likes to buy things. He enjoys using the feed and features like the ability to share memories with others through the feed. At the start of the book, he and some friends go on a trip to the moon, fun buddy trip, where they meet Violet. Violet is not like anyone Titus has ever met. She is homeschooled, and she's a little bit of a free thinker. Unlike Titus, who 
had his feed installed at birth. Violet only got hers at age seven, which does cause risks, some medical risks. Well, they are on the moon. There is a cyber attack from an anti-feed organization that puts them all in a coma. Through the process of healing, Titus and Violet develop a romantic relationship and Violet convinces Titus that he should resist the feed. I think it appeals to the YA readers who uh, might like a romance and, you know, just sci-fi in general. But um, what I really enjoyed it for is, is the satire and there's a lot of humor in that. For instance, Violet's idea of how they're going to resist the feed is basically to go to the mall and ask all sorts of questions about things that they are interested in purchasing like all over the place and then not buy them. So like our data is tracked, the feed tracks their data and starts sending them advertisements based on what they want to buy. That was very amusing from a perspective of, of a smartphone user. And, you know, when you sometimes like accidentally click something and then suddenly you're like getting advertisements for diapers and you're like, what the heck is this? And my very favorite scene, they decide that they need a break. They're going to go to the country uh, and they're going to go to a farm. And then when we arrive at the farm, it turns out it's actually uh, a filet mignon farm. So it's like this where the meat itself is grown on the farm. It's not, you know, like cattle. It's like they're like going around and like poking the meat that's growing in the farm. And if there's like an issue with the tissues, you know, maybe they grow like a horn or an eye in the middle of their filet mignon. Well, it's very disturbing. It's also like funny in a lot of parts. And I think probably why I really enjoyed it is I like cautionary tales about technology, but specifically about corporatization of technology. And I've been thinking about it a lot lately with the metaverse stuff coming up and being like, you know, technology is a great tool. The things that we can do with it um, are awesome. And like listening to some CBC about the metaverse and, you know, how we could become more connected through it and, um, you know, over large spaces, which is wonderful. But then just the fear of that being uh, a corporate entity. So this really resonated with me. Um, and I, and like I said, I keep thinking of it, even though I read it 10 years ago and it was published 20 years ago. So I think it's a great read for teen or any readers who are maybe a little bit more reluctant. It's quite an easy read, but then I think it's also a good read for people who uh, just like speculative fiction and to explore uh, an idea in depth. But it is not a good read if you are Kareen. <laughs> that is Feed by M.T. Anderson. You did a really good job. You almost you almost sold me on it. And then I remember having read it and hating it so vehemently that even now, as soon as you brought that cover up, I was like, <sighs> yeah, I think it was the main character. I hated the main character so much and I wanted him to perish. I wanted him to perish horribly. Yeah, and if I wanted to read Fahrenheit 451 in the future, I'd just go and read 400 Fahrenheit 451. But I, it is, it is as you said, Fiona, it's a great book for reluctant readers. Like, you really nailed why it's really interesting. And I cannot believe that it was written 20 years ago because so much of it is right on the nose, right? Yeah, and like literally 20 years ago. It's 2002. I was really surprised when I saw that. <laughs> yeah, strong, strong opinions here and Keep It Fictional as always. So as advertised, we deliver on that for sure. Um, 
Yeah, I, I think you lost me at issue with the tissue and talking about the filet mignon. But uh, yeah, again, it just like speaks to my fears. Like I don't, I don't something about like lab grown meat. I, I think it's a really good development. And then I'm also like, <laughs> I think that might be one of the scenes that like destroyed me. We learn so much about each other and like you know who eats meat, who doesn't eat meat, who likes speculative fiction, who is just not here for it. Uh, <laughs> all right. So moving away from, I guess, the sci-fi type of angle of uh, the impact of technology, I've got something that's a little bit more, I guess, current, borderline trendy. And if you're thinking this does not sound like a Liz book, yeah, you are absolutely correct. But being that this is the year 2022, you know, I just, I think I just need to read some different things <laughs> to have a bit more separation from real life. So with that, I decided to read a book that did pique my interest when it first came out from a debut author. Um, their name is Sam Sheeta. And this book is called Siri, Who Am I? So as you can imagine, there is an iPhone involved in this and it plays a big part in this story, not a shameless plug for Apple. I don't think it was intended that way, but this character that we will learn about uses technology to try and piece together her life. So when the story opens, we have a, a female character who has just woken up from a coma in the hospital and with a head injury, and she has no idea who she is, not even what her name is. All that she knows is what the nurses and doctors at the hospital have told her, which is basically, you know, you have a huge gash that had to be stitched up in the back of your head. Um, that could explain your memory loss. And when you were admitted, you were wearing a Prada dress that had a cape, matching shoes, a sparkly clutch. And in that clutch was a Chanel lipstick and an iPhone with a cracked screen. So... Not only did they stitch her up, they also powered up her iPhone, they plugged it in, they charged it. And this character, it's like muscle memory. She didn't know who she was, but she knew to ask Siri. So Siri, who am I? And Siri proceeds to say, hello, your name is Mia. Okay, great. Siri, what's my last name? Your last name is, I think it made up something ridiculous, like gorgeous or something like that. But it starts to kind of reveal clues as to what Mia was like pre-accident. She's like, why would I do something as frivolous as that? Why wouldn't I put my real name in there? Anyway, she tries going through her contacts in the phone, tries calling somebody listed as mom. Number is not in service. Uh, that's not a really great sign. She tries calling one of her most uh, recent contacts named Crystal. Mm -hmm. Crystal picks up and is like, I do not want to talk to you. How dare you call me after what happened the other night? Hmm. Okay, this could be a clue, but yet it doesn't lead Mia anywhere. So anyways, this being the American healthcare system, even though she doesn't have her memory back, she is basically given her things, told to get dressed, 
um, and then wheeled out to the curb where she decides to call an Uber. Again, how did she know to call an Uber and not a taxi? This is like all muscle memory, all these habits and things that come back to her just by instinct. She knows to do everything through her phone, including opening up her Instagram account, which she is still logged into on the phone. So she's looking back at her feed and looking at all the pictures for clues as to trace back her whereabouts from the time that she lost her memory, as well as previous to that, trying to find maybe faces that she remembers, maybe locations. Where should I go after being discharged from the hospital with amnesia? Well, somehow her and her Uber driver do a little detective work because they find a beautiful house, a pink house, the beautiful yard, and somehow they figure out what neighborhood in Los Angeles this is at. And Uber driver very kindly drives around, even though she's like, I don't know who I am, where I am. Please help me. He five star rating. All right. He gets a great rating. She drives, he drives her around. They find a house uh, because she also had a couple of keys in her sparkly clutch. And lo and behold, one of those keys actually does open the door to a beautiful house that is anything beyond her wildest dreams. However, she's not alone in that house when she enters. There is a very attractive young man sitting at the kitchen table. And she doesn't know who he is. She doesn't know who she is. <laughs> so this leads to a very awkward conversation. It turns out he is the house sitter. And she assumes, oh, so you're working for me. And he says, oh, no, no, no. I'm working for a man named JP. So now Mia has yet another clue and another thing to figure out. Who is this JP? Why do I have a key to his house? How am I associated with him and who the heck are you? Why are you house sitting when I've been in the hospital and JP didn't show up? Nobody showed up for her. Anyhow, not to give too much away. Did I mention that this house sitter was very attractive? He is also a neuroscientist. Huh. Brains and beauty. So anyways, and to top it all off, he has a kind heart. So I guess because of his neuroscientist background, he can see that, okay, you've obviously endured some physical and perhaps mental trauma. I am going to help you out and help you figure out your life before JP gets back. Mia ropes him into this adventure. They conveniently find a Ferrari in the garage that she is able to drive flawlessly. I don't know how. Suspend your reality. This is not quite a romance, but... It's kind of headed in that direction. It's entertaining. I will give it that. I found that the character of Mia, even though she has all these millennial things going on and is glued to her phone and no knock on millennials, please don't be offended. Please don't at me. But you know, this book very easily could have gone down into all of those stereotypes and made a very uh, generic character that could have been very unlikable, especially for somebody who, as it becomes apparent, um, had a lot of projecting onto her Instagram account, you know, being all glammed up and going to various events, being in a hot air balloon, having parties on a yacht. She's like, I own a yacht? 
does she? I don't know. You'll have to read that to find out. But maybe she's not quite who she thinks she is based on her Instagram or who she really wants to be. So Mia's definitely no dummy. She's not, she's not a vapid character, uh, which I really appreciated. So it was just really interesting to see how somebody could bring a modern day take to a story using technology that a lot of us use in our everyday lives and an app that a lot of us use in our everyday lives and perhaps like to look into the lives of others with, that being Instagram. Um, It was just an interesting take on that Um, and seeing how Mia unravels the mystery of who she is. So a bit of romance, a bit of mystery. Will she have a happy ending? We shall have to read it and see as I did. So if you are looking for something, again, a little bit lighter, dealing with technology, not necessarily giving you deep thoughts, but maybe like on the periphery thinking, hmm, what kind of, am I projecting too much on my social media? How much is image really important to me? And is that being negative um, as to how I live my real life? Then you might be interested in Siri, Who Am I? by Sam Sheeta. I am intrigued. I would love to try to figure out everyone's life from their Instagram feeds. Oh, a little detective work. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I feel like book talking a mystery is like like a cheat because I'm like, well, I have to know. I have to read it. That's what we do here on Keep It Fictional. We try and recommend you books and we hope that you will read them. Okay, now for Corrine with something a bit different, maybe a couple things. Maybe a couple of things. Yes. Um, So in 2010, when um, author and journalist Nick Bilton was sitting down with Steve Jobs to uh, write an article about him for the New York Times, he asked Steve Jobs, because the iPad had just come out, he asked him, hey, how do your kids like the iPad? And Steve Jobs immediately responded responded in a bark saying, they don't. We limit the tech in our house. And it wasn't just Steve Jobs. In fact, uh, in 2011, the New York Times reported, and I'm sure that this is still true today, that most of the CEOs, CTOs, executives, and engineers from Google, Yahoo, Apple, Hewlett-Packard, they all send their kids not to the fancy high-tech schools where they all have an iPad in hand at all time and have the smart boards in every classroom. No, they send them to a strict, no-tech Waldorf school. In fact, most of these executives, most of the people in Silicon Valley don't allow their children to touch technology until they are older. And in fact, even when they are older, their use of technology and social media is severely, severely limited. And the books that I have chosen and what I am kind of interested in is asking the question, why? Why are the people who are building these apps, who are building these phones, who are building these technology, not themselves using it and not allowing their children to use it? I am 
interested in the joys of technology and how it does bring us together, but I am equally as interested in perhaps the part of technology that we don't always talk about as much. We know that it might be a danger and we know that it might affect us in certain ways, but we can't always articulate why. I love reading books about how technology and how social media affect both our behavior and our brains. I love the look at like cognitive science and neuroscience and looking at how these tools are actually rewiring the way our brains work for negative or for good or even for neutral. I think it's just such an interesting topic. And two books that I found really, really interesting, although there are so many more out there that I would love to talk about, but ones that really kind of got me thinking and chewing on the topic are Bored and Brilliant by Manoush Zomo Rodi, who at a certain point noticed at her dinner table how much she was picking up her phone in a moment of boredom at the doctor's office or at work when nothing was happening or having a dinner with her spouse and just kind of like a lapse in conversation. Her first instinct was to pick up her phone. And then she asked the question, how many times in a day do I just pick up my phone and look at it? And how does that affect my behavior? And so she went on this journey to just kind of ask that question. How does the omnipresence of the phone in our life change our behavior? And more specifically, how does it affect our ability to be creative or to critically think about things? And she started a a challenge. She doesn't necessarily think that technology is a negative thing. It's just we need to be more aware of how we're using it and when. And she argues that we have kind of used phones to take away this element of boredom in our life. If we're standing in the bank line, if we're waiting in the line for anything, our first instinct is to pick up our phone and check something. But by doing that, are we missing out on the ability for our brain to just wander? To wander and go from thought to thought to thought, to free associate, to think about your life, and to think deeply about things. And so she came up with a challenge that just asks not to go absolute cold turkey on your phone because that's impossible, but just to be a little bit more aware of how you're using it. And also to think about carving out spaces of time where your phone isn't there. Because one of the most interesting um, little factoids or studies that was done was that even by having your phone present on the table affects the way that you communicate with other people. You don't even have to be looking at it. The phone just has to be present. I loved it. And then the other book that I really recommend is by Jaron Lanier, which is 10 Arguments for Deleting Your Social Media Accounts Right Now. This is not a positive book. (laughs) This is very much the opposite, which um, Jaron Lanier, who is uh, within the community of... Silicon Valley and one of the people who was inside of the machine is talking a little bit about how social media is changing our society. And he argues not for the better. What I really like about his arguments is that they aren't necessarily like pointing at your finger to do it right now, but it's more like, hey, have you noticed that since we have Twitter, 
it's undermining our fundamental understanding of what the truth is. Or it's destroying your capacity for empathy. Or even it's making you unhappy. He lays these out with really well-done studies. Um, It is, of course, trying to make the persuasive argument to delete your entire social media accounts. But what I really liked about it is that it makes you think critically about how you are engaging with social media in your life. Is it actually making you unhappy? Is it corporatizing every single one of your hobbies by showing you ads of things that you are interested in? Is it maybe affecting your relationships with your family? I just, I I love technology. I love my phone. I love my tablet. I think that it brings amazing things to our lives, but I really like a a book or an argument or a, a nice piece of nonfiction that makes us just look critically at these habits that we've adapted kind of without thinking. And as with anything, it's a tool and we just have to figure out how that tool best fits into our lives and how it best serves our lives instead of us serving it. And so those are my my two picks for a little bit of nonfiction on the topic. I know, Liz, I'm repping out nonfiction this time um, for the topic of technology in our lives. Yep. Great picks, Corrine. And also great point again to, you know, hammer home that, you know, you got to kind of set your own boundaries. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I had this visceral, like physical feeling when you read the title of your second book, like to delete your social media accounts right now. And I just was gripped by anxiety. I don't know about the rest of the panel, but um, that was a little scary. <laughs> I, the, the, I think the title is kind of meant to shock you, um, but I, I think that it kind of wants to make you argue with him. And he starts the book like that. It's like, you're going to want to argue with me. And I was like, I do. And at the end, I was like, you know what? Maybe Twitter isn't for me. <laughs> I'm curious, did you delete any of your social media accounts? I deleted them off my phone. Yes. Um, I don't have Facebook or Twitter on my phone. I have to log into them via browser to get to them. And I don't use Twitter anymore. Um, but I do keep Instagram because I need it for BTS. And if you're playing along at home, uh, every time you hear BTS uh, partake in a sip of a beverage, only if you're of legal age to do so. Okay. We're getting sidetracked, so um, I think it's time to call it a day for this episode. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us, your fellow book lovers. We'd love to hear what you've been reading, um, so you can get in touch with us on social media at Pomo Library on Facebook and Twitter, or you can head to our website, pormoodylibrary.ca, and drop us an email if that is something that you're more comfortable with, or call us. (laughs) (laughs) yeah you can call us or like come right up to the info desk and and just like talk to us about talk to a real human yeah that's we leave the option open so uh yeah we hope you enjoyed today's episode thank you so much again that's keep it fictional from the port moody public library and we look forward to chatting with you again soon bye for now time to power off thank you for listening if you like our show please tell a fellow book lover about it You can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes. Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then, keep it fictional. Mm